We have been walking through this this wonderful gospel. Uh, Most likely, most uh, believe that this was the first uh, gospel that was written of the four, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your New Testament, uh, that Mark was the first to be written. It's the shortest gospel. That's what I usually encourage people who are maybe new to the faith. They're trying to figure out this thing called Jesus and Christianity to start with this simple book of Mark. Uh, Mark does not spend a lot of time on the teachings necessarily of Jesus, but more about answering the question, who is Jesus? And we have been discovering who Jesus is. We're on a journey watching as the disciples are discovering who Jesus is. Their willingness to follow him is extraordinary. Uh, We just looked recently at Matthew, this tax collector. Jesus walks by his tax booth, looks at Levi and says, come follow me. And immediately he leaves behind this immense wealth, this great job that he had and follows him. We see some fishermen, Peter, James, John, others at a boat, they're fishermen. And Jesus says, looks at them in the eyes and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We see these amazing things and we've seen Jesus calling these men out to follow him. And we see how he has has this great authority. Uh, He speaks with authority. He looks at a person who has been uh, ravaged by demonic oppression and is is cursed by this demon, and he looks at this person and tells that demon to leave. And what does that demon have to do? It has to leave. We see Jesus' authority over the demonic. We see Jesus' authority over disease. As he looks at people, he, he takes a leper who, has, who is so shunned by all of society, is considered unclean, is not probably experienced the touch of another in years potentially, and Jesus reaches out his hand. Doesn't even, he could have healed him with a word. Instead, he heals him with a touch. He touches him, says, be healed. And this man is healed. We see all of these things, and Mark is trying to show us who is Jesus. I think this is what many people, even today, we, we've, maybe you've heard the stories of Jesus. You've maybe read portions of Scripture. Maybe you've heard of John 3.16, and you've heard of other passages of Scripture, and you've maybe heard about this Jesus. You've, because, you know, at Easter, it's kind of in front of us, and at Christmas time, it's in front of us, this birth of Jesus. But the question still lies is, who is he? And the disciples are going, this is the Messiah. They understand. He is the Messiah. They're seeing he is the promised one of all the Old Testament, that there was this promise of a Messiah, a Savior, who is going to come and lead their people, the people of Israel, out of oppression. They were to be preparing their hearts for this Messiah. John the Baptist, we saw this in chapter 1, is calling the people to repent and prepare the way of the Lord. Here he comes. And then now we come to the end of chapter 4, and we come to what's a remarkable story that most likely is familiar to most of you in this room. Uh, I'm pretty confident if I were to ask my kids before, my, my children, if they knew this story, they would be able to tell me the details of this story because they've read it maybe in their beginner's Bible storybook, and uh, we've read it in devotions and those kind of things. It's a familiar story, but there's a lot to learn about who Jesus is in this very familiar story. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4, looking at the last section here of chapter 4, starting in verse 35. This is on the heels of a full day of Jesus' teaching ministry. 
He has been teaching all day. We see that over and over again, people are being brought to him. The crowds are gathering. They want to hear, what is this Jesus? There's something about him. There's something in the look in his eyes. Uh, my wife knows this about me. She's downstairs, thankfully, for some of my stories, but um, <laughs> she'll probably see it later, hear it later, I guess. But, um, but she, knows, she knows that she doesn't mind this one because it's about me instead of her. But, um, but when um, watching a television show, I think she maybe even said this in our small group one time, telling on me, but um, she's always looking over and she sees me like a little tear. I'm always like trying to like position myself. You never know, ever do that? Like trying to position yourself so someone can't see the tear welling up in your eye. And so, but, but for us, we've like, the pastor's finally catching on board and has been watching The Chosen a little bit and our family uh, at night. And uh, I can't help every single time Jesus is about to heal someone. I don't know if it's the music. I don't think it's the music, but, but it might be, you know, emotional or something. But all of a sudden, like the tears start welling up in my eyes because it's like getting a little bit of a visual picture of the compassion of Jesus when he looks at someone who's oppressed, who's suffering, and he looks them in the eyes and I'm like, oh, here comes the tears again. Position yourself, Eric. You're okay. You can hold it together. But I can't help but see, I mean, Jesus is, is overwhelmed. The crowds are coming. He is at the beginning of chapter four. He has got in a boat because the crowd is the end of chapter three. The crowd is becoming so big around the seashore in Galilee. And so they're in Galilee. They're at the seashore. And while they're there, they get in this boat and Jesus begins to teach from this boat. He teaches from this boat and, he, and he's teaching. The crowds are gathering as more and more. And it's a full day uh, my kids know how I act on Sunday afternoon. I don't know what happens in your home. I, after Sunday morning, getting here early, the, the weight I feel of preaching God's Word and trying to, to, to accurately and clearly and lovingly and with a great burden share the Word of God with you, I get really tired. And I'm like, they know, it's like, all right, Dad needs to sit on this couch for a little bit and just rest. And so... I know that that is my case. I cannot imagine Jesus is consistently needed. Every day there's people longing for him to say something, do something. And here he's taught in these parables and he teaches on the parable of the soils that we looked at last week and the parables of the kingdom. And then now the day is almost over. It's nighttime. And so it tells us in verse 35, on that day, so chapter 4, verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. So he was, because he was already, if you remember, he was already in the boat teaching. So he didn't have to get in a boat, he's already in the boat. And as he was, and other boats were there as well. You know, these are, these are experienced, remember, these are some experienced fishermen who know the Sea of Galilee very well. They would oftentimes fish at night when it was more calm, usually. And so at nighttime, it's going to be a little bit more calm than it would have been during the daytime. And so naturally, that's when they would do the most amount of fishing through the evening. So they would be familiar. This isn't like a scary moment for them. They're used to the sea. They're used to fishing. And they're used to even potentially storms. But yet here in verse 37, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But notice what Jesus is doing in verse 38. He's like me on Sunday afternoon. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. Like the storm doesn't even wake him. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. 
And they said to him, teacher, do do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And what does the wind do? I don't know if you've ever tried this. You know, you're like, man, this, it's our wedding day. It's about to rain. You're like, stop raining, <laughs> you know, or something. I don't know if yours is that. That's the unwise choice of the outside. Out, you know, it's, a, it's really, it can be a predicament doing those outside weddings. It's like, is it going to be a thousand degrees in July or are we going to have a rainstorm? You don't know. But, you know, everyone's praying, Lord, give us good weather. My son today, he's hoping for that football game. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's happening. And so here Jesus wakes up looks at the storm, says, peace, be still, and what does the wind have to do? And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So then he's talked to the storm first. Then now he looks at his disciples and says, why are you so afraid? I mean, like, I don't know about you, but like, if Jesus were to ask me that question, I'd be like, uh, did you not see those waves? Did you not see? We were about to be drowning. Like, why am I afraid? Did you not notice the storm? I'm sorry, I don't have your power. I'm not sure what they were thinking. But why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, did you notice that in verse 41? We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. And they were filled with great fear. It started with a great fear of a storm and ends with a great fear of who is Jesus? Who is this that has this kind of power? Well, what I want us to do with this short story, this story this morning that is most likely familiar, if not, now you're aware of it of this story of the calming of the storm. And what I want us to do this morning is just pick up on several lessons. So if you have a place to write, you have a note on your phone or a pen there in your seat or somewhere to write, feel free to write these down or, Lord willing, go back and, and watch this because I think there is so much that we can learn from this short story. See, none of us are immune from the storms of life. They come like a hurricane sometimes. They come out of nowhere. They overwhelm us. They cause great fear. They lead us to questions and doubts and uncertainty and wondering and lots and lots of questions. Whether it's the fear of a, of a diagnosis that was just given and you're like, what am I to do with this now? Or you've just found out that your spouse is no longer wants to be in this marriage anymore. Or you find out a son or a daughter does nothing want to do with you. They want to live a different life than what you thought they would want. You see, the storms of life come, and we never know when they're coming. But there's some important lessons that we can learn this morning. The first is this, is being, and I want you to see this, being a follower of, follower of Jesus does not prevent you from experiencing the storms of life. You see, let me say that again. Being a follower, and it'll be on the screen, being a follower of Jesus does not prevent you from experiencing the storms of life. Here's what I mean by that. As I think sometimes people can give you some really, really bad advice when you're going through hardship. 
They can ask some questions, or maybe you don't even hear the questions, but you think they're thinking these things about you. Oh, what did they do that brought about this? What happened? What maybe sin has led to this trial or this storm or this problem that has come, this difficulty, this trial? Did it come because of sin? Did it come because of some difficulty? Well, I want you to hear this this morning. Being a follower of Jesus, doesn't, it doesn't make you immune to it. It doesn't prevent you from experiencing storms. And I don't mean just storms. I know I put that in the notes. Like great storms. I mean, here it's telling us in verse 37, it was a great windstorm, and it must have been extraordinary because here's experienced fishermen going, we're going to die tonight. This is too much. We're hopeless. But here's what I want you to hear. Notice this. On that day, look at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, who is he? Jesus is he. Jesus says to them, let us go across to the other side. Jesus is telling them, I want us to go. Take me over to the other side. Jesus is asking them, so what are they doing? They're being obedient to God. They're being obedient to their master, Jesus. And they say, Jesus tells them, I want us to go to the other side. I'm in the boat with you. I'll go with you. Here we go on this journey, and then now they experience storms. You see what I mean by this? Just because you, you can be completely in the will of God and still experience extraordinary storms of life. You can be perfectly in the will of God. You can be outside of the will of God and experience storms. You can be inside the will of God and experience storms. The question, though, that always is there is, am I being obedient to the Lord through the storm? And so far, they are. They got in the boat. They took Jesus where, they, where he asked them to take him. Jesus is in the boat with them. He's actually with them in the storm. You see, being a follower of Jesus does not prevent you from experiencing the storms of life. And yet, this is exactly where these disciples find themselves. They think they're about to die. They think there's no hope. The only thing left to do is wake up Jesus. But here's another lesson I think we can learn from this short little story about Jesus calming the storm is this, is oftentimes in the middle of the storms of life, we question God's goodness for us. You see, oftentimes in the middle of those storms that are so extraordinary in our lives, so difficult, such a trial, you might have just found out you've lost a job and now you're going, how am I going to pay the bills? How are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to survive and weather through this storm? We're, we're looking around and here's what we can so easily do, even if we're in the will of God, is we can begin to question and go, does God really care? Is God actually good? Does He know that I'm struggling? You see, you have to understand, this is a circumstantial storm. They cannot control it. There is nothing that these men could have do, done to keep, prevent themselves from experiencing the storm. There was nothing they could do. It's a storm. It's, it's nature at its worst in their eyes. Here they are in a boat, a small boat, about like 25 feet-ish long. And here they are in this boat, and, and they're filled with these men on this boat, and they're going across, and all of a sudden, the waves are crashing, the storm is raging, it's overwhelming them, they're getting tossed to and fro. They are not, they're out of control. 
And here they are in the midst of this. And naturally, I think for many people and for most of us, because I know this is true of me, is we can begin to question God's goodness. We like to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good until the storm is too tough. You see, we like to say this phrase, and it's such a wrong phrase, is that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is, that is false. God will give you a lot of things that you can't handle. Why? Because He wants you to trust Him with what He can control. You see, God is oftentimes, He's stretching our faith, and in this, there's a stretch of their faith, but look at it. Look at it again in this passage. What do they do? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And maybe you've experienced this before as well. You're like, is, is God even a, is he aware of what's going on? And here's what they do. They awake him, and, but notice what they say. Like, Jesus, like, how are you still asleep? They're not like going like, going like what's going on? Like, man, you must have been really tired. Like, hey, can you help? Like, grab a, grab a, <laughs> grab a bucket. <laughs> like, we need every, all hands on deck to get this water out of this boat so we can survive. No, what do they do? They don't ask him for help at this point yet. They're like, teacher, do you not care that we are, per- are perishing? They're, they're rebuking Jesus. And they're rebuking him this way, saying, do you care? They're actually saying, not just asking him, do you care? They're stating that they think that he doesn't care while he sleeps. Their master, the one they've given up their livelihoods to follow, is sleeping in the stern of the boat, and here they're worried for their lives, and they ask the question, because this circumstantial storm became really like a, I heard Tony Evans say it this way, like a theological storm. It's a storm that leads to your view of God, and does God actually care? All of a sudden, that storm becomes a a theological storm when you begin to think about God, and is He actually good? Does He actually care? And so they're questioning, and I think that it's oftentimes come when you lose a job or anxiety over health diagnosis, loss of a loved one, strained relationships. These heartbreaking moments become a crisis of faith. And that leads me to our next lesson. Lesson number three is when Jesus seems silent or absent, this is a test of faith. You see, in the midst of the silence and in the the waiting, isn't that difficult? I don't know of anyone who just like loves waiting, except for the indecisive person, I guess. They're like, let's just hold out as long as possible (laughs) to not have to make a decision. For the most part, most of us, we we want control. They're in a boat with the sea. I mean, if you ever want to be out of control is, is be in the middle of a storm on the sea. All of a sudden, the storm has you, and you don't have control. And here, Jesus is asleep, and they're like, gee, how, why are you sleeping? That teaches us real quick. This is, isn't, these are side notes you can kind of write down. I think this teaches two things as well about who, again, we're asking that question, who is Jesus? One is this, is he is fully man. He is asleep. He's fully man. He is sleeping. He is exhausted from ministry, but he's also God, and here's how we see he's also God. We're going to see, obviously, we've already read the story. We know that he's God. He tells the storm to stop. He controls it with his voice. But we also can see that he's God, is, and that, that he is 
perfectly centered on the will of God is that he knows his mission and so that he can rest in this stern of a boat while it is going crazy because he is perfectly held in the Father's hands. He's fully resting in the Father and his relationship with the Father and knowing that this is not the end of him on this boat. There's more yet for him to accomplish. And so he can rest, he can sleep. We see his humanity, but I want you to hear the application of that, that he is human, that he's rest, that he's tired. You see, because Jesus is fully man, he understands us. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're suffering. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. These men in the boat with him, when he asks them, to stay awake with him while he prays, they fall asleep. They fail him. When he's betrayed into the hands of the Romans and the Sanhedrin, what happens? His disciples run in fear. He's abandoned. He's all left all alone, as we were singing about in Old Praise the Name. He knows. He knows what it means to be hurt. He knows what it means to experience suffering. He knows. He is fully Man, but yet he is also fully God. This is the hypostatic union. This is, there's your big theological word for you. It is this merge, this, this, and it's 100% God becomes 100% man. And so his godness, his deity is veiled in his humanity by taking on human flesh. It veils, it, it hides some of his deity. You don't get to see it clearly. And in that, we see he rests. He needs naps. He needs to sleep at night. He needs food. But here's what happens in the midst of this, coming back to our third point, is while he is resting and sleeping, that's when I think for us, in that waiting period, in that time of what's going to happen, I don't know, I've not seen an answer, I've cried out, I've prayed, I've looked for, the, I've looked for answers in your word, I don't know what to do. You see, this is a test of your faith. James 1, turn there quickly. James chapter 1. So towards the back of your Bible, after Hebrews, after all the epistles, the pastoral epistles as well of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. <laughs> Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, you see, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed. You feel like this storm is too great. You can't, you don't have control anymore. You've lost control. The testing of your faith produces what? What is it producing in you? It's, a, it's producing a steadfastness. It's giving you a willingness and an ability to endure, a steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, through the silence, through the wondering, and through the waiting, it's a test of your faith. Again, I've said this a few times. It is not God saying, I wonder if these disciples really love me. Or He's not asking the question, I wonder, I'm going to send this trial Eric's way, and I, want, I wonder if Eric really will stand up to the test. It doesn't work that way. God, it's laid out, God is completely all-knowing. 
He knows my motives. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm going to do. He knows how I'm going to respond to the storm. So what is the point of the storm? What is the point of the test? It is to reveal to me, it's a grace of God to open my eyes to my struggle. And is my faith genuine? And that's what we were looking at in the parable of the soils last week. Is my faith genuine? Is it a counterfeit faith? Is my faith in an object or a thing? Or is it in God alone? It's a test of your faith, and through the silence, it is a test. It's a, it's a grace of God to allow you to experience the storm, to see and to reveal in your heart and your mind, am I truly following Jesus? Am I willing to follow him through the toughest storms, the most difficult circumstances of life? You see, this is the third lesson, but there's more. I normally give you three points, and you're like, I thought he was done. A couple more. Number four, because Jesus is the all-powerful God, we can trust Him through the storms of our lives. Nothing, let me repeat, nothing, nothing ever surprises God. Nothing needs God's quick response. Uh oh, let me step in and intervene really quickly. No, God is all knowing, He is all powerful. You see, if you create the world by the word of your voice, I'm pretty confident you can control this created world with your voice. And so, sure enough, that's exactly what Jesus does. Look what He does. He says, And they're saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. He doesn't look at them and say, guys, come on, chill out. This isn't that bad. No, he looks at the storm and he says to the storm, he rebukes it, it says. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And immediately there was calm. Immediately the waves and the wind ceased. You see, Jesus has all power because the disciples are still not quite getting it. He actually is God. He's not just another Messiah hopeful. He's not another great prophet like Elijah and Elisha or Isaiah and others. No, he is in fact God incarnate, the man, the fully man, yet fully God, Jesus, the Son of God. And here he is, and he speaks to the storm and says to stop. You see, John 1, as John opens up his gospel, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As John opens his his wonderful gospel, he comes from a different perspective, and he goes all the way back to the very beginning. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus, he says. And how do we know it's Jesus? We go to verse 14 and we find out, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took on humanity, took on flesh and form, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen and beheld His glory. But go back to verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were created and made through Him. And it says, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, God God Himself made all things, and Jesus is God. Jesus didn't just come to being at birth with Mary and Joseph. No, he has existed for all of history, for, from as far back as you can go, and you just keep going. Eternity passed. Jesus was there. 
Before there was a star in the sky, before there was one human, before there was one droplet of water, before there was anything, before angels or anything, there was Jesus. And he creates all things. Colossians 1, what a wonderful exposition that Paul gives us in Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, I want to read it to you. Colossians 1, Paul explains that everything is made by him. But he says he goes even further about his creative works. And he says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, not being born in, in, in preeminence, in, in rank. He is above all things. He is head. He is over all things. And nothing is over God and, he's not, and everything falls under him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, notice this, were created through him Notice, for him. That storm is for him. That storm and that difficulty, even in your life, is for him. You see, he deserves all glory. He deserves glory not just when you get through the storm. He deserves glory in the storm. And it tells us that all things were created through him and for him, And notice this, and he is before all things. And notice this line. This is really important for our faith. There's this line right here. And in him, all things hold together. He sustains his creation. You see, you wonder, can I really trust this Jesus? Can I really trust God through the storms of my life? Let me tell you, Hebrews 1.3 also explains it really well. It says this, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All he has to do is say something and he controls it. He doesn't need to use his fingers and hands. He can just speak and things come into being. He can speak and continue the earth's axis at just the right spot, and the spin rate at just the right spin rate, and the sun at just the right distance. You see, God is all-powerful, and this is the lesson that these disciples are still trying to get is, who is Jesus? I want, to hear, I want you to hear this last and final lesson that we can learn from this passage is this, is Jesus leads us into storms, not despite His love, but because of His love. That is a tough to hear. Believe me, when you're going through the storm, you're like, wait, he allowed this because he loves me? Eric, I'm not so sure. How is that possible? You're telling me that he leads us into the storm, not despite his love for us, but actually because of his love. You see, because he cares about your soul. He cares about your heart. And he cares about what you value most. And when we put our hope in a boat, or we put our hope in our ability to control a situation, we put our hope in a relationship, when we put a hope in our bank account, into a status of some sorts, when we put our hope in these things, God knows those are not for your good and for your best. And so he allows the storms to awaken your eyes and your need of him. That is love. And how I want to end this this morning is is this is a personal question, but it's one that Jesus asked, and this is one, and here's the question is, why don't you trust me yet? 
That's basically what he's looking at them and saying back in our passage in Mark 4. As he says it here, look at verse, starting, look back at, right, right here, right at the end. He says, he rebukes the wind and the waves, he talks to the sea, but then he looks to them, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still not trust me? Do you still not trust me? Here, I will calm this storm, I will talk to it, and you're going to see my power. Do you not trust me yet? See, I want to ask that question to you this morning is, what is keeping you from trusting this Jesus? What is keeping you from saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? See, this is a great prayer to pray. As we see it modeled in the Gospels, is that simple prayer. Lord, I believe, it's, it's very little right now. I'm starting to sense your presence, but I'm not sure about all this stuff. Lord, I believe, but God, will you help me with my unbelief? Help me to trust you through these storms. These storms are too overwhelming. They're too much for me. And so you might be saying, what, like, and I want to ask this question to you and put it in front of you. What is keeping you from trusting Jesus? For those of you still wondering, still doubting, let me tell you what Jesus did for you. You see, the Bible tells the storm of God's wrath is coming on all those who live apart from God. You see, we did a scripture reading earlier that was pretty dark because that's God's wrath on sinfulness. Romans 2.5 tells us, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are, notice this, storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see, by our lack of trust in God, our unbelief, by not entrusting ourselves to this holy God, we are storing up for ourselves wrath from the Father poured out on all who are not His followers, all those who have not put their trust in Jesus. But here's this great word. There's a, there's, and I'm going to teach you one more really big theological word. It's called propitiation. It's even hard to say. But let me, let me define propitiation for you. You see it a few times in Scripture. You see it in 1 John. Propitiation is this picture of, of, of absorbing the wrath of God. And here's what Jesus did for you. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, why won't you believe? Like, come on, wake up. No, instead of just looking at us with condescension and looking down on us with condemnation, he comes with grace and he says, I will take the place of you. I will absorb the wrath of God for you. I will absorb the storm for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. If I can give you a short version of the gospel, it is Jesus in my place. He comes and he lives the life that we should have lived perfectly sinless, but we didn't. We fall short, and we get the wrath of God because of that. But yet Jesus, in his great love with which he has loved us, listen to John 3.16. You'd probably have heard it before, but let me tell it to you again. And then maybe not the next two verses after it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's sacrifice. That is him coming to absorb the wrath of God, the punishment for sin. That he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever looks to the son, whoever puts their eyes and their faith in the son will, have, will not perish but have eternal life. 
Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world. Notice this, he didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, that's the wrath of God on all sinfulness. He will punish it because he has to. He's a perfect, holy God, and we as sinful people deserve the wrath of God. And I know you might be like, deserve? Like, are you kidding me? I'm not that bad of a person. That means we don't understand the holiness of God yet. Until you see who Jesus is and who God is in his perfectness and his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness and his kindness and his grace, till you see him for who he is, you'll properly see yourself for who you are. That is what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He saw God in his throne room and was like, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Because, why? Because my eyes have seen his glory. You see, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God, and He longs to give you peace. This peace to the, that He's calming of the storm. He wants to calm that storm for you, ultimate storm of God's wrath for you. And He said, I've already paid it. It is paid and done. Trust me. And I want you to see this as we close. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, it led him to a greater fear. The storm brought fear, but when they started to see the power of God, that Jesus is more than just a Messiah, and more than just a prophet, that, you see, this is something that only God can do, and they knew that. Look at Psalm 107. I want to end with this. I feel like I've said that 10 times, so sorry. This is it. <laughs> Psalm 107. It's a story that we see here. From the Psalm 107. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They see His control over the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. I mean, there you can see the picture of like waves too big and too vast. They mounted up to heaven and then come crashing down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. But look what it says. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They're being tossed about by this storm and were at their wits' end. But notice verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Can I tell you this? Jesus promises that he will take you to the end. You put your trust in Jesus, he will get you to your desired end. You see, Jesus asked them to take him to their sea. He was going to get them to the other side of the sea. But here's the thing, this life, to get through this journey, this difficult life, the storms are going to come and go through this life. What's going to get you to the end? 
is where the object of your faith is. Is it in Christ alone or is it in your circumstances? If it's in your circumstances, good luck. What will get you to the other side is the object of your faith, putting it in Him. And here's what they say, verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. See, so if you're a believer this morning and you've put your trust in Jesus, thank Him for allowing the storms. Thank Him for His grace and His presence with you like He's here in the boat with these disciples. Thank Him. Extol Him. Let other people know of this great God. But listen, for those of you who this morning maybe have never put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation, listen, you can trust Him. He's trustworthy. But maybe you're saying, I still don't know. I'm not sure. Listen, pray that prayer I said earlier. Lord, I'm trying. I believe. Maybe. I'm not sure. Help my unbelief. And it would be my joy and privilege and many others in this room to help walk you through what that looks like to follow Jesus. That he will carry you to the very end. He will. We're going to sing this song here in just a second. He will hold you fast. Let me pray. Let's bow our heads and thank this God and ask him to give us the right response to his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, what a God you are. What a great and powerful God you are. What a loving and gracious God you are. You are so good. You are so kind. We're so undeserving of your grace and your goodness to us. But we know that life is hard. I don't want to, I feel maybe I've done that this morning. I don't want to minimize someone's struggle in this room. God, they are hard. Sometimes it is, it is, seems hopeless and our faith is waning. God, we're feeble, and that's why we say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. So help us, God. Help us to believe as these disciples are trying, to, as we're watching them figure this out. Who is Jesus? God, I thank you that we have all of your word to understand who you clearly are. These disciples are walking with you and going, they're amazed by you, but they still don't know exactly who you are. God, we, we see this in your word, and so help us to believe. Some are going through really hardship a lot of hard, a lot of battles. Thank you for the song we were singing earlier, that, you are, that sometimes we're fighting this battle, but it's this battle that, we've, that you have already won. You have overcome the grave. You are a risen Savior who has absorbed the wrath of God. What a gift. What a gift of grace that you are to us, that you're patient with us, that you're kind, you're long-suffering, and you're good. So, Father, help us as we're our, our, our ground is this shifting and shaking ground that we're not sure if we can continue on or we don't know how, what's gonna, how we're ever going to get through this storm. I pray that, that we will find trust and ho- or we'll find our hope in you by putting our trust in you. So, Father, I thank you so much for this gift. And we ask that you will, as we're about to sing together, that you will hold us fa- fast. That when I fear my faith will fail you hold us fast. I thank you that the hope of salvation is not in my ability to save myself, but it's in your power and grace. Thank you for this gift of grace. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room who maybe is not in right relationship with you, that they would never go back out into the storm outside, 
without getting right and getting in the boat with you of life and faith. So I pray that for each person in this room, that we would live a life of faith. Not just a faith in things and stuff, but a faith in our risen Savior. We love you, God, and we thank you for this. Help us to sing these words with our hearts, trusting that you will hold us fast. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.